This is episode 34 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, November 20th, 2012. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Coon. This is Free as in Freedom. So uh, we've had a hiatus. Well, we well we could do that thing from uh, that Jimmy Fallon skit on Saturday Night Live. I don't know. And what that we're is. back. Oh, I actually do know what that is. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, everybody. Well, the, there was uh, I was at Open World Forum and then at uh, Google Summer of Code Mentor Summit and then and I I had a had a baby that I was trying to <laughs> schedule around. Well, there was a hurricane. But in then the, the second yeah, then there was the hurricane, which was um, made it very very difficult. And I was in record. a place without electricity for three days. Yep, and so. I was taking care of um, a lot of coordination around damage to loved ones due or due to my loved one's house. So <laughs> then I, the but then I, and then I had to go to LinuxCon Europe because I'd already scheduled that before the hurricane. Right. But they moved my but my flight on both ends because then there was another storm. Yep. And there was no flights in the JFK. The so-called nor'easter. Yeah. Well, the the there was a that's a there's only one flight a day on Delta from JFK to Barcelona each day, and the same plane goes back and forth. It never took off that night. Listeners, you may not know this, but Bradley has become a flying aficionado. If you uh, ever need to know anything about uh, Delta's frequent reward program <laughs> well, or schedules to various cities. Well, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to do status match on United. Right. Because then I can fly almost any flight. Because so, I always just buy the cheapest fare imaginable. And it just worked out for like a year and a half. All the cheapest fares were Delta. But the status match lasts for a year. It doesn't last longer than the year. But here's You have my to theory. maintain it. Here's my theory, okay. is that instead of getting to the top tier status on Delta, I'll get on the second to top tier status on two airlines instead, because that's okay. more valuable. You really fly enough to be on second to top status? I'm second to top on Delta now. Huh. I'm surprised. 75,000 miles. 75,000 miles. A year. On both. On both. And, well, anyway. But yeah, hmm. this is this is not the flyer talk podcast sorry <laughs> normally <laughs> i'm the fly- one saying let's keep it to the topic. i wonder if flyer talk forum has a podcast it should i'm sure there are podcasts that talk about this kind of thing oh i need to listen flyer to those <laughs> nice well no i do i need to know what's this funny stuff. is i do i know the in and outs of american airlines but americans hope america's useless now no that's they don't have enough rights routes they don't have it just depends where you want where you're flying they don't have they don't have a very large alliance. They do. I mean, the it's One not, World Alliance not, not is like pretty. Not like United's and Deltas. Well, it's still pretty good. I mean, but the um, but the earning miles from their partners um, has really they've they've really diminished. Oh man, and I'm that's del- the reason why I don't have status for this. I mean, I do because I'm lifetime. But yeah, well, you were already a million miles before you were thirty or something crazy like yes. that. Yes, I was. That was crazy. I think I was. Yeah. Well. So have you ever flown those airlines in Brazil, the local airlines? I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, of, of course. I'm kind of afraid because they have really bad I don't really remember actually what they records. were called, but I, I, I flew them a lot. There's yeah, three a of lot them. of my miles were from my, my flights to Brazil. But there's three of them, three local airlines in Brazil, and they're all, they all have really horrible safety records. So I'm, okay. I'm, af- I'm afraid to go to... This I'm, is why I'm, I'm afraid to go to... I'm cutting you off Faisal. because, okay. as you pointed out, this is not a frequent flight. But it was free software related because they've invited me to Faisal next year, and I'm really afraid of their... I mean, I don't mean to insult the Brazilians, but they're, the Brazilian airlines have really bad safety records. It's, a, it's just facts. 
And so I'm afraid to go to Brazil for this reason. But that statistic is compared with other activities that you engage in is still suitably risky. That's true. That's true. Well, I don't really drive that much, so there's not that. But compared but to other airlines. Sometimes. But compared to and airlines. And you think that every time that you get into a car. Absolutely. Right? I think I'm going to die about, every time I get in a car, actually. But you still do it. Very rarely. But I do think I'm going to die every time I get in a wow. car. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, most people in the United States die from is auto accidents. Is the statistic more than not most people? But is the, <laughs> is the statistic for um, for a death from one of those um, airline crashes greater than uh, is the risk? Is is it is it one in ten thousand? Well, I, I don't know because it because it's really hard to get. Stu- well, you have to do statistics on how many. The statistics I found on airlines is all focused around. Number of flights, not miles. So you have to do it by miles travel or something. Time in the air, I think, is the best way to do it. Okay. Because all I'm saying is that one in 10,000 is statistic, is a statistic for, um, people getting hit by, injured by, um, buses in New York City. But that's because people jaywalk. I don't jaywalk. Well, I'm not sure that that's the case. I'm a much, I'm a much more careful street crosser than most people. Mm. Substantially more. Well. But, anyway. but speaking of safety. Speaking of safety and our health. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to, um, I, I wanted to do a little update on the uh, medical devices thing because, um, not too long ago, I should figure out the date, actually. Um, so it was in October. Um, but I'm a little behind everything because of, um, uh, being, I was going to say out on maternity leave, but I'm not like out for my life on maternity leave. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but you're going to be a mother indefinitely now, so that's you, true. You, you'll have to be on maternity leave forever. Until- Not on maternity leave. I, maybe maternity leave then becomes a leave from maternity. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, um, which I'm not looking for. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, there's this guy named Barnaby Jack who we referred to when we talked about the um, insulin pumps. Because he's the one who um, who demonstrated that the um, insulin pumps um, could be maliciously hacked um, and deliver fatal doses. So, if for those of you who um, who haven't been listening to our show, I think most most of our listeners know that um, I have a heart condition, and um, the quick summary is that um, I'm at a very high risk for suddenly dying. So, I have a um, pacemaker defibrillator implanted, and um, when I considered getting one. I did a lot of research as to the uh, safety of the software on these devices, and I learned that they're not um, the the FDA doesn't review the software um, on these devices, and you know none of the medical device companies would allow me to take a look at the at the code that that they wanted to implant into my body. And for those of you that want a longer description than that, uh, we'll link to the episode where Karen gives her talk on this in the show notes so you can go get Great. a longer summary than that if you or longer explanation than that for for this if you want. So the software on these medical devices is a is a is a major interest of mine. And um uh anyway, so the, the really latest thing is this guy, the same guy Barnaby Jack has uh has reverse engineered a transmitter that can basically um make uh make pacemakers within a 30-foot uh, radius shock people fatally <laughs> and also uh, rewrite their firmware. So basically, in um, I, I'm actually not sure which model he used, um, but um, although I should, I should look it up, but there's, there's no uh, security measures on these devices. They're constantly broadcasting wirelessly, and 
um, there's no encryption. Well, but why, I, I don't, what I don't understand is why you're able to do a firmware upgrade in, in this way. I mean, I guess they do all their, do everything over the air. So that, that makes sense, but it's the same interface for data IO is this is for also for firmware upgrades, which is a little disturbing. Yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole thing is pretty disturbing. I mean, you know, I, it's, it's also just unnecessary. Um, so I, after looking into this, when I first was told I needed a defibrillator, um, I worked with a doctor who found me an older device that doesn't broadcast wirelessly. Instead, it, it, it relies on magnetic coupling. And there's no reason not to use magnetic coupling. Like, even if you say that the, you know, the security is, um, you know, even, even if you say that implementing security measures requires too much power, which is what, um, what the companies say, that in order to implement, um, the right kind of security measures and authentication, it's too much, too burdensome on these devices, which are meant to be lightweight and rely on keeping their power. Um, so even, even if you say that, there's no reason not to necessarily go with something like magnetic coupling. Now, it means that it's a little bit harder to do things like, um, you know, use home devices that con- consistently monitor you. Um, but for most people, that's not really necessary. Um, for me, for example, I, they, I only have my dev- device interrogated is the term they use. I only have my device interrogated once every four to six months. And I've only had it, um, had the changing set or something changed only like three or four times. And in that event, you need the close attention of a doctor and technician anyway. So, you know, having to have the, they call the, the um, device that, um, the other part of the magnetic coupling device, the programmer. Um, having a programmer that you have to put right next to the device isn't, isn't burdensome at all. So I, you know, this is one of those instances where older technology to me is an improvement. But in any event, that doesn't necessarily, you know, that doesn't speak to the, the fact that even if, you know, all the devices didn't have this wireless component to them, they still wouldn't be, um, be safe in my view because the software is not, um, auditable. And given that we've just had an election, this is a very similar issue to the voting uh, device issue where where the the public in, in this in your case it's a public health and in the other case it's the public's uh, business in some sense that there's no even all, uh, scrutiny done by the public on any of the source code for any of these kinds of devices yeah one of the things that I sort of try to underscore in my uh, my talks about this is that you know this is my heart device is is sort of like a cartoonish example of many ways in which we rely critically on our software. So my device is literally hooked up to my heart, but we rely on so many other pieces of software for so many, you know, society critical functions and voting machines is one, the stock market is another, you know, all that software that runs our stock market and it's had obvious problems. well, and there's, I would be more concerned about things like uh, switching gear and other types of uh, public uh, transit-related devices, which I would presume the older equipment is probably mechanical and the newer equipment is probably software-controlled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that's that's sort of life-critical like that, um, but there's also a lot that's society-critical. And I like talking about medical devices because it makes it really easy for ordinary people to understand how a software bug, you know, could affect your life. Yeah, I, I think the, the the one of the things I've been thinking about lately is the difficulty in programming, and part of that is it's related to this that that it's very difficult to to write software and know it's been tested and so forth. And and 
I think as an industry, software developers have gotten used to this idea to some extent. Uh, and it's, re- it's related to, it's, it's only tangentially related to free software, but the thing is, is that it's, it's difficult to get software correct. Uh, and prove it, proving it correct is actually very difficult. And that's been mathematically shown. So I, I think that the only solution we have is, is scrutiny by lots of people, which mm-hmm. is kind of the traditional open source, uh, as distinct from free software argument for why we should do this. But it's a valid argument here in particular because there's no scrutiny I by hate, other people. I hate to go down this rat hole again, yeah. but in this particular instance, why are you saying that that's open source argument is distinct from the free software? Oh, just because the open source argument is really focused on this issue of, uh, I, many eyes make bugs shallow kind of thing. Which is which is a major issue here. I, that's but just I for think the that point. the free software world. I mean, you know, where study is one of the major, you know, yeah, the that, main freedoms. Yeah. I just. I, okay. 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 Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I. But but I think that that. So, so has, has there been, and this is now a month ago because we, we weren't around, uh, to record a show about it. Has there been any reaction from, from anyone? I mean, there were, I heard, I heard, I think it made NPR and other types of, mm-hmm. um, of mainstream press, but has there I been any reaction? I saw not in the same way that you would expect it to. And this is the thing that's floored me about this entire issue is that so many people don't know about it. And being in the hospital so recently as I was and having to deal with doctors, cardiologists, and electrophysiologists, I was amazed at how none of those people had heard about this. None of the electrophysiologists had heard about this. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, actually, not about this, because this had not, come not out yet. Not the new issue. This, this issue hadn't come out yet, but, um, but, but it, or basically, that it was the, an the issue part, at all. The parts of the mainstream press that covered this have already covered some aspects of this, um, of this story. Mm-hmm. So this was the same press outlets doing sort of similar levels of, um, of attention on it. And, the electrophysiologists, so the guys who are programming these devices, you know, setting them and um, recommending and, and implanting them, um, they weren't aware that these devices fail, and they weren't aware that they were vulnerable. It was amazing. Well, and, and some of that I think is is the is I think it's related to the. Uh, I, I actually I want to ask you this: Is this related to the way that drug companies tend to interact? And and because medical device companies and drug companies probably have a similar marketing strategies of, of basically they get doctors to prescribe medication by giving the doctors lots of perks and all that sort of thing. Is there the same thing going on with the medical device companies? Do the medical device companies have certain influence over doctors as far as like trying to basically get them to choose their medical devices and therefore kind of manipulating them with with gifts and other things that they do in the in the in the drug space it does function the same way exactly the same way as it does in the drug space and there was a um, a lawsuit against medtronic at some point um around some of the bad behavior that we connect with the big pharma slush Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean and and uh, you know a lot of um doctors basically get loyalties to certain companies Mm -hmm. um i trust my doctor when he said that he prefers medtronic devices because he gave me good reasons to do so, um, and I I trust mm-hmm. his. Well, yeah, and I'm and I mean I'm loyal to to Delta as we were just talking about loyal to Delta in a certain sense because I have. Well, sta- that's not status, really comparable but, but, because but, he's yeah, not he's yeah. not loyal because he he gets some benefit. That's what we're worried yeah, about. Right, exactly. Right, he's but, loyal because he finds that he believes that when Medtronic has a problem, they come forward faster and mm-hmm. contact doctors than the other than 
um, guidance. Right. But the reason I was making the analogy is A, because we happen to talk about it in this episode and B, because I, I don't know if getting a, I, I'm not, I don't think getting a benefit. Like I don't, I don't, I pick the cheapest flight, uh, that's on a major airline regardless because Conservancy's travel policy says I have to no matter what, even if I have status. Um, I think I wrote that policy. It yeah. does let well, you, you choose another, um, yeah, no, you, you didn't write that one. policy. No. Oh, wait, you didn't base it on the one that I wrote? I thought you I don't had. Because so. I no. thought I reviewed it. Okay. You reviewed it, but yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's the one. Because it, because yours had the nonstop thing in it, which is not there. Mine said that you could, um, you could upgrade, um, or you, you could, you could take a different flight, but you just have to pay the difference. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think the reimburse, it's just the reimburse amount is whatever within a hundred dollars of the lowest available fare. But the point is, is that the safety records are basically the same and all those other sorts of things, right? So I, I'm favoring Delta when it's the cheapest and the safety record and I'm getting some benefit because it happens to be the case that Delta's there and I have a certain amount of loyalty. And I, I think that if, you if a like doctor the, has a, the perks of right, your membership of and that really but, does sway you. Whereas uh, I don't think that, I think that I truly believe that my doctor thinks that Medtronic makes better devices. Right. Yeah, that's true. They're not entirely comparable, and the ways that the companies behave, you mm. know, the service plans are, are not yeah. necessarily true comparable enough. either. Yeah. I think the other medical device companies are probably fine in the end, you know, and they're all probably pretty comparable. None of them publish their source code. None. Of, I would have gotten a different company's device if one of them had let me review the source code, mm. um, but none of them would. Yeah. Not well, Delta has not let me review the source code of their entertainment system, which is GPL. <laughs> yeah. Now, the I, I I wonder every time I fly on Delta if if uh, if having Linux reboot in front of me is distribution, and uh, I think it's public performance, but not distribution. And if public performance meant anything for software, I don't think I've received distribution of Delta's entertainment system. But I've seen it you reboot know, many times. They might revoke your status if you try to see them. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, but I, I I don't know if I have a cause of action. Although I, there was to make this the the frequent flyer outcast of uh, yeah. as I'll see, there was a lawsuit about uh, I think it was American Airlines had like a lifetime uh, first class like unlimited flying program, <laughs> uh, and uh, and they started trying to revoke it, and the um, the people who bought into it sued. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. So, do you get any sort of benefits from Medtronics for picking their device? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I get the, the benefit of having a uh, vulnerable device yeah. sewed into my body, um, and it's now running out of battery. And so I, I don't know what I'm going to do, to be honest. I'm, well, I'm they, have they to... haven't solved that problem even in the newer devices, right? I mean, obviously they all have batteries. No, right. But that's fine. But I got one of the last, you know, sterile devices that relied on magnetic coupling. So. So will they try to replace your device with. One that's it's not like the battery is swap. You know, you can just swap out the battery. You haven't to get a new device. Oh, I understand. Okay, so so it's not like they can't they can't open you up and just put a new battery. No, and that's why some of these vulnerabilities are so insidious. um, Because even something that seems fairly innocuous, like um, the device is vulnerable and therefore people can fiddle with it and put it into test mode or do things like that. It sounds like it's not that dangerous, but doing those doing anything with the device can uh, even just you know. Authenticating. I mean, just anything with it will run down its battery, um, and if it runs down, if the battery runs down, then you've you've got a useless piece of hunk well, of. Yeah, and d- and not only that, it's it's kind of like the medical device version of a denial of service, which is like a requirement of surgery attack. But because I, I could, if I could hack into your device, I could wear down your battery and yep. force you to have to go get surgery. Oh, absolutely. Which and surgery has risks. So basically, it's mm-hmm. like it's like a denial of service. It's like a, a force of surgery attack That's that you funny. can do on these devices. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from the fact that I, for me, I don't rely on my device on a day-to-day basis. I'm not oh, right. using pacemaker functionality. On it, you can kill them but my father, for example, rundown. he relies on the pacing functionality of his pacemaker defibrillator. So if if a you know if somebody ran you know if if his battery ran down. Which actually, he recently got his replaced. So, um, so right. He, so it's a true denial of service, uh, and in a medical device sense, it's it's then it's, he, it's murder he would really be in trouble, point. right? Because yeah. you could deny service of the pay if you if the, or if it the depends on the person. Like you know, some people there's actually um, some of these devices are actually vulnerable to cosmic rays. <laughs> and, well, of course they are. Yeah, and so electronics. And so um, there are some instances of people who have flown internationally in their. Um, their pacemakers have defaulted to, fa- you know, basically to factory settings, um, which, uh, which decreased their, or took away their pacing functionality. Um, and they were, I don't think anybody, nobody died from it. Well, it's really disturbing. So it's not necessarily murder. I mean, I, I would like, I would, did, did, were you ever able to ask if they're using, I guess you can't even on the hardware side figure out, are they using ECC RAM for the RAM? In I, the actually, I think you can find that out. There are some specs yeah. available on the hardware. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, the idea that they're susceptible to cosmic rays sort of indicates they might not have ECC RAM. I mean, I guess a CPU can be you know, susceptible to cosmic rays in a way that it executes a wrong instruction or something. But usually the cosmic ray issue um, for most computing is related to memory. Because uh, memory is sort right. of the most dense thing and the most likely to be hit. And usually if you're worried about the cosmic ray situation, which I think I just had on my laptop the other day, um, the it's the ECC RAM is the way to solve that. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea that these devices aren't using ECC RAM is just disturbing from yeah, an engineering I don't know. standpoint. I mean, I know that it's not a common thing to happen, but I know it has happened at least once or twice. Right. Well, we don't have any... I should be clear. I don't have... Fa- I'm doing the ancient aliens thing. I'm like, could it be that these <laughs> medical devices don't use ECC RAM? We have no evidence that they do or not. And don't. actually, my knowledge about what what information is available is a few years old. Right. So. so... But it would be an interesting for someone to, to research on the hardware side. I mean, not, I mean, obviously, you're raising most of the software side issue. But on the hardware side, are they, are they designing these things in a way that's the best possible design for safety and if they're not using cc ram that's like an easy thing yeah i think that actually the hardware designs are much closer much more closely scrutinized than the software right, right. Um, until now i think that there have been enough failures that i think uh yeah. the fda is starting to wake up to this issue um and so is the public but the fact is that there the fact remains that there are so many of these devices mm. and there's um you know it seems extremely unlikely that um requiring these companies to publish their source code is going to happen, which means that the review will fall entirely upon the FDA, which surely doesn't have resources to do it. It doesn't make any sense. Publish the source code, and then people, you know, like me and my father would pour over it before it went into I mean, I don't know that we would have the technical savvy, but, you know, in in aggregate, we would. Yeah, certainly checking to see if it has ECC RAM is an easy check. Right, but we could do that. Any, I mean, I I think you might be able to do that anyway on the FDA's website. They have some some packages available um, that talk about the devices and their hardware. I I don't, I didn't scrutinize them too closely. I've discovered that most normal humans, uh, like non-geeks, think that you're just making something up to make them go away, and when you tell them that their computer can crash because of cosmic rays, like most people don't believe you. They think you made it up. Oh yeah, when the tech, when the um, the technician told me about this, um, and she's actually um, incredibly knowledgeable and a published author on this stuff. I, I was I sort of actually giggled. I like kind of guffawed, and then I looked it up, and I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I know. I learned about that in the late '90s. It started to become a problem in the late '90s when RAM densities got enough that um, actually somebody published a paper at Usenix one year where they did some mathematics and basically discovered that. Um, 
in a in a in a rack of of you know of, of servers that basically you would get one failure a year due to cosmic rays um, because you also have to factor in the odds that it hits an area of it flips a bit that actually is being used at that moment uh, and 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 it's not a, just a some dirty page or, or something that doesn't matter anymore uh, or not dirty page some clean page or something that doesn't matter anymore um, but yeah I I, had, I hit Control P in Emacs uh, and it, it, it core dumped. But control P is just up one line. Right, right. Which I hit millions of times a day. Instead. Are you sure it was a cosmic ray situation? It's either it's either cosmic rays or some other hardware failure, right? It's clearly right. a hardware failure. That's problem. the problem with the cosmic ray situation is that it's probably hard to verify that that's what's happening. But the fact that I haven't had any other um, seg faults of... Uh, there's a moment when your hardware starts to fail where you, you can get a lot of random seg faults. Um, the fact that I had one and I haven't had any others and... and and it, everything's been fine on the same laptop with the same components, that's an indication it might be Cosmic Ray. Because if it was actually hardware failure, it probably would be, I, I would have experienced in the last week more weird seg faults or something like that. So at the same time, I just realized we got off topic again. Um, on the same topic again, I, I, I don't think I mentioned um, Hugo Campos on the last, any of the previous shows where we talked about the medical devices stuff. Who's that? So, so we or no? Okay, so no. I don't know who that is. Um, uh, well, he is a guy who um, who has my same heart condition, and is an advocate for um, on these these devices and for openness, but um, but he is advocating for access to the data on these devices because he makes the like sort of the other side of the coin argument that. Um, you know, yes, the, you know, I, I'm saying sort of, I'm talking about software safety and saying that, um, you know, I would like to see the, the source code on these devices. And he's saying, well, these devices are collecting all this data about me and I don't have access to it. Um, and it's about my body and it's about my life. And, you know, why won't these medical device, and I have no choice. And why won't these medical device companies release this information to me? And so it's been very interesting. And he's also started, you know, he's, he's given talks you know, in the same formats that I've given. And we, we recently became aware of each other because we're sort of advocating for similar things. And he also is, you know, a young person who has HCM and I had to get a, a defibrillator implanted. So it's been really interesting to talk to him about it. Um, and so I wanted to sort of give him a plug too. Yeah. That, that medical device or just medical data issue in general is problematic. You're allowed to get your own medical records, but sometimes very hard to get them. Mm -hmm. And that's true even with just your lab tests and so forth. I, I've been worked very hard to collect my medical records. And yeah, in many too. places, they, they, they give you a hard time about giving you um, some copy of, of, of medical imaging. Like I had a hard time. Get, I broke my ankle a year and a half ago. I had a hard time getting every x-ray. I actually had to, to do a lot of work to get every x-ray to keep. I find you have to do a lot of work, but it doesn't, I never, I've never met any re resistance. It's always been like, oh, that's a pain. You really want that? Why? You know, and then I sort of say, oh, because, you know, first of all, how cool is it for me to have a DVD of my heart, you know, with all the different, you know, the imaging and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they're sort of like, oh, okay, that's weird. Um, and then sometimes I sort of say, well, it's good to have because if in the future things change, it would be useful to have a copy. And they say, oh, that sounds smart. But it takes a while and then they only want to give you what they think is the minimum that they can give you to satisfy your request. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but it's more of a bureaucracy question and, than a, a, a real yeah. Well, legally you're obfuscation. entitled. Legally you're entitled to it. That's why they have to. But it is it is really a, really an issue. And uh, and 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 places destroy medical records. I have a, a a lost MRI from the 90s that I had done that I was recently discovered can no longer. Yeah, get. in the ordinary course they'll destroy records, and yeah. you know keeping things indefinitely doesn't really make a lot of sense. But I think a lot of people think their medical data is kept indefinitely for them by some by somebody. And that it can always be gotten. Well, it is if you don't change doctors, generally. Generally, yeah, if you don't change true. doctors, you know, and you have some, you know, you have your baseline exams, really look forward to being able to pick up some of this work again soon. Um, I think that it's, I, I feel like we're reaching a point where, um, where folks are going to start getting really receptive. But what amazes me is that everything is that these issues just keep getting more and more, um, prominent and it's astounding that um, that it takes these kinds of cartoonish malicious hacks and actually they're not really malicious hacks but um, demonstrations of vulnerability in order to get people to pay attention and even still we have we don't have change well I, I, I think that there won't be uh, until and the FDA is the only entity that could actually act right there's it's the only agency of any kind that has authority to fix any of this and until they are convinced by somebody like you as an advocate to act they're not going to act or if doctors as a class demand it that's, that's the other way probably true that's true but again the doctor's minds aren't going to be changed until an advocate like you convinces all of them and in mass it's hard to convince them of anything i, I would think yeah well right and to do that you need to convince patients so can you <laughs> is there is there a way that you could get like, could you submit a, actually the way to do this, the way to get to doctors would probably be to submit a journal article like, yeah. to a medical journal. I actually have a few ideas about ways that I think I could get people to, to listen. Doctors I actually listen. don't think that patients and doctors, because I think you need patients driving doctors to, mm -hmm. to get up off their behinds. Well, they have very to get off their encounter suited butts and do something. <laughs> what is that? It's a Babylon 5 reference. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so they're, they're for the Babylon 5 people in the crowd. Um, <laughs> don't watch Babylon 5. It's not, oh, it's, not okay. it's not worth it. I was wondering. Yeah, but I watched it. Obviously, that was a reference. But I think that doctors would change their minds if somebody in the medical world published a paper. Yeah, and, I have a few different ideas, but I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, in the Therac 25 thing, got addressed yep. because some people died. So somebody actually has to die from this, probably. I mean, that's, that's, I know that sounds so macabre and so. Well, like, that's why this, 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 this sort of like demonstration that Barnaby Jack did is the, is the furthest you can go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, he got these devices to deliver fatal shocks. It's not like mm -hmm. he got them to give, deliver ordinary shocks, which you can survive from, you move on from, they're annoying, they're destructive. But, but it's not like, uh, I'm, I'm getting people, ranty, but people, it's not like that caused congressional hearings. It didn't do anything, right? I mean, it did basically nothing. I mean, we were a month out from that happening, yeah, yeah. and it's done nothing. So the, well, but that, I basically believe somebody people has to have, die. People have died from insulin pump malfunctions that were due to software. And still. Has that been proven to be from software? Yeah. Okay. So, but then. And that, that's not new. That's not new. It's just that the basically resources are limited. This hasn't um, this hasn't really risen to the level of what people people really care about. And then, and of course, Therac Therac twenty five was decades ago, and 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 people haven't even applied that lesson learned to this issue because it's basically the same lesson learned. It's software failure and in a medical device. It's just an implanted medical device versus yep. versus equipment in, yep. a, in a lab. 
but right, equally threatening your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the implanted devices are just like I sort of say. I describe it as like cartoonishly. So I started doing that when the Sony Rootkit thing happened. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like, you know, how bad can these record label, you know, can these companies behave in order for people to stand up and notice? And that's you know, these implanted devices are just such great examples because they're they're so far on the you know kinds of examples you can think of. Yeah, but it's not. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry to be so pessimistic about it, but it's not changing minds even though all this stuff is so no because it's not mainstream. actually really getting into the mainstream press it's getting into like fringe press i think that's our show okay thank you and we'll be back we should be on schedule now okay we hope great Reason Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Reason Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Reason Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Reason Freedom website, faith.us. That's faif.us. Yes, people would need to die. More than one person would need to die. Yeah. Or one prominent person. Yeah, like Dick Cheney or something like that. Oh, that's one of these things. But he's got a different. I, I actually, he's got a different device. Okay. We've already, I've already think made this joke on here. He's got yeah. a, a device that. Pumps. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the, Dick Cheney sounds like the penguin from the original Batman movies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> does Dick Cheney or does Dick Cheney not sound like the penguin from Dan, played by Danny DeVito? He kind of looks like him. <laughs> I agree with that too, but but I mean I think he yeah I mean I think he sounds like the penguin. In any event, his device is rarer. Um, and so. he also literally talks out of the side of his mouth. He literally. does. He does. He only opens half his mouth. <laughs> so now I have to find some recording of Dick Cheney to play. I, I don't know if I can do that. I can't commit to that. I think you should. It's a lot of work. I have to find some really good. Are recording we still recording? We're still recording. We're still recording. So, hey, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. <laughs>